welcome to this episode of Curating Crypto, where we focus on covering the art and culture scene surrounding the crypto space. And now, here's your host, Pavel Villalobos. Hello, everyone. This is Pavel, your host of Curating Crypto. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our partners at Thomas, the voice of crypto. Discover events, data, news, jobs, and more at FOMOHAN.com. Our guest today is a Finnish multifaceted creative known for his work as an artist, writer, keynote speaker, and performer. His background as a professional creative goes back over 20 years. Making a jump from film, photography, and running a media production company, he innovated a new form of digital art. Due to the collaborative nature of the body painting works, a former controversial project with a famous actress reached around 300 million people and changed global cultural norms. Without further ado, let's welcome an artist simply known as Vesa. Hey Vesa, Mitakulu. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, so nice to hear Finnish. But apart from my fiance, of course, who I live with, I don't hear Finnish that often. So that was that was a very nice thing to say. Very cool to meet you, Havel, and be a part of the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, man. Appreciate you coming on. I have a lot of Finnish friends. I was actually in Finland last summer for a wedding in Espo outside of Helsinki. And then I can tell you, I was uh, here in San Francisco watching the final of the World Hockey Championship amongst Finns. So uh, I have a long story with Finland. And for the most part, I know a few things, but mostly bad words. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the right <laughs> way. You, you, who cares about the other ones? The, the curse <laughs> words in, in Finnish are the best anyway. Yep. Good. Uh, so, Vesa, as a multifaceted uh, creative individual, you've had a, quite a journey. Could you tell us about your background, both as an artist and as an individual? Oh yeah, I, I usually tend not to dwell into my into my personal story that much. It's a it's full of tragedy and strife and and all kinds of uh, kinds of things that I, I had to overcome along the way, and I'm still overcoming, and I'm still not too comfortable about talking that, about that stuff. But it's very visible in my work. It's all very much about the how to put the Humpty Dumpty back together again, how to assume responsibility and not be a victim in life and uh, come up with a positive direction of where uh, life is going for me personally, as well as societally and, and even uh, to a relative degree spiritually, where what is the direction of what art can really uh, contribute to other people. So I, I usually tie in go past my own background and things quite quite uh, quickly in order to get to the ideas that are the most beneficial for other people. I suppose that's the comfort zone that I uh, operate under very uncomfortable circumstances with. Okay, very interesting. And, and as an artist, what's your evolution? I know that you've delved in, in many different art forms and from film to all the way that what you're doing now, which is a multi-sensory way of expressing ideas and, and what inspires you. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, I didn't want to be dismissive of your question. That that wasn't the point. But I, essentially, uh, what's always gotten me uh, going is is ideas to to a degree. And uh, whatever the technology or the technique is, is is just first I get an idea and then I have to figure out on how to express it. And when sometimes first I started with music and then I went to film and photography and and uh, Photoshop and things like that. And then eventually uh, directing uh, television series and documentaries and I had my own production company. And then I became very frustrated because uh, I wasn't able to, the things that I had in the back of my head, I, I wanted to be an A-list film director in Hollywood. 
and basically I ended up having a production company in Helsinki, Finland, directing a, a television series about educating humans about how to be better with their dogs. And and while that was uh, important and it was it, it was kind of cool, uh, I felt like I'd, I'd done a whole misdirection and all of a sudden I was more focused on how to pay my production company bills than I was expressing something deep and soulful about the state of humanity and how to how to somehow contribute to the conversation. Uh, it wasn't exactly uh, a feeling of, yeah, I, I just made uh, Space Odyssey 2001 and uh, being on power with Kubrick. I was, <laughs> you know, it was it was a strange kind of experience. So I had a sort of crisis of, of everything. And uh, because of that, um, I also started learning neurolinguistic programming at that point, NLP. And uh, uh, this very cool character called Richard Bandler, what he did is that he took some people on stage and he put them in a trance and gave them some oil paints and some paper and how to uh, express themselves. All they had, a, they, all of these people who were on stage, they had a negative belief about themselves that they couldn't paint. And in this trance, uh, Richard allowed them to have permission to do so. And they didn't produce Van Gogh's or anything, but they were certainly competent enough paintings that they shouldn't have this negative belief about themselves that they can't paint. And once they woke up from the trance and saw what they had done, uh, their reality immediately shifted. And as, as I saw that, mine did. And I remembered how I got that negative belief, even though I'd been doing writing, photography, everything at that point, I still had this negative thing of, I can't paint, I can't paint. And this is a little over 10 years ago now. Okay. And then uh, because of this, it was also true that <laughs> I hadn't painted anything since, uh, since I was in school, like uh, as a kid. And uh, I realized, but what I could do is that maybe if I body painted on, on someone, I could direct and I could light, I could take photos, I could Photoshop, I could tell stories, I could put together maybe an expression that I I hadn't seen before and maybe this is something new and I found this one crazy enough uh, lady who came to do it with me and once I saw that result in front of my screen everything changed for me I, I couldn't the life of me I just thought that even if I would have become the next sort of David Fincher or uh, Ridley Scott or whatever I'd still be among the A-list of Hollywood I wouldn't have contributed uh, something entirely of my own into the conversation a new thing and of course, uh, the, the originals are digital files, and then I had to find a way in how to uh, monetize them and, uh, and sort of pay the production company bills. And it, it was already at that point, it was very serious sort of professional stuff, and I, I had responsibilities to take care of. So it, it, it was quite the shock ride into the whole thing. But ever, ever since my first show, which I did about six months after putting this together, it, was, it made sort of national news and and uh, it, it started attracting attention and a, and a high street gallery took me in and, and it was quite quite a ride, but I, I was never allowed into the traditional gallery system of, let's say, the museums and the, and the high grade ones. Even though I felt like I had the content and I had the quality and I had the new thing, uh, they just didn't take me too seriously because I had a film education background. I, I didn't come from the fine arts and I, I thought, what the fuck's that matter? Look at what you have in front of you. It's a new thing and it's pretty cool. And they just, that conversation has been ongoing with, uh, with the art world. Um, and uh, it's, quite, it's quite conservative and stagnant. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan. So this is why eventually when I found myself in the blockchain space, uh, I've been happy ever since. Very interesting. So let's start with, with Luke's, a project three years in the making that basically talks about harnessing the power of the sun. And how across different cultures and belief systems were a lot of similarities and you found inspiration. When you talked about Luke's, there was something that struck me quite clearly. And it was the very beginning of the film where you state that 
And I'll paraphrase this, that despite the incredible advancements in school of thought, there's still an imbalance in terms of resource allocation with an ever-growing sense of powerlessness. It brought me back to a time I was doing some consulting in Mexico, which is the country that I was born in. I believe it was a Valentine's Day and everything was packed. And I was at a restaurant and one of the waitresses was having a hard time and people were giving her a hard time because the food was not coming out on time. And I asked her what's going on. She said, well, the thing is, I broke my glasses and I can't see. I, I leave my house at five in the morning. I live two hours away from the city and I get home around 11 and I do this every day. On her way, she fell asleep and her glasses fell. Her glasses broke. And the income that I get from this restaurant basically pays for my rights, for my food, and I have a little bit of extra. So now she was in a position where she couldn't pay for her glasses and she couldn't quit her job because she had to pay for her uniform. I, I felt so powerless. And when you mentioned this in the beginning of Luke's, it just struck me as something that I felt for the first time, but imagine how she felt. Yeah, I've been in a fortunate position in such a way that my mother was an air hostess and I got to travel quite a bit ever since I was a kid. And even though in the early 80s, uh, Finnish economy was experiencing a boom and and uh, you know we we have a history of getting screwed from both the Swedes and the Russians, and the, it, it's quite a an emotionally wounded country. But the, there was, in terms of material uh, wealth, it was doing quite well at the time. But I got to see a lot of different kinds of things all over the world, and I suppose uh, one of the because Andreas Antonopoulos in the in the crypto space is obviously someone who has been massively inspiring, and I've I've turned one, many of his ideas into art pieces and. And he has a certain kind of point of view to it. But I also um, kind of started listening to these people from the intellectual dark web, like uh, Jordan Peterson and, and Eric Weinstein and, and, and those kinds of people of, of into economy and into, into the ideas of why do we have uh, oppressive hierarchies or do we have hierarchies of competence? And what are the ideas that birth the wealth that we have in the world? Why is there wealth at all to begin with? Is, is it all something that is just taken and it's all about uh, oppression and violence or has has some of these ideas uh, come about to produce this and and it's not only it's not so clear cut and uh, sort of the economic disparity it, you can't lay it down on just capitalism or oppression it's a much deeper problem that's been with us ever since we we started crawling out of the ocean pretty much or if not before then and you can't just like the the modern conversation about the, the sort of marxist way of looking at it or the capitalist way of looking at it, it all comes across a little too simplistic and a little bit even almost removed from nature in terms of what the reality of it is. And it's something that if you're an emotional person, you you feel empathy and you really like the, the things that I saw, let's say in China when I was six years old, uh, were horrific. And I like ever since every time I walk past a homeless person, it, it's, it's a fucking horrible experience. You don't want to see that in the world. It shouldn't be like that. And then at the same time, it's not so simple as in that we could just snap our fingers and take some powerful people off their pedal stools and then it'll be all fixed. It, it doesn't work like that either. It's a, it's a strange kind of negotiation with the nature of the universe that you have to uh, have to do in order to arrive of what the real solutions are, because sometimes empathy doesn't actually get the job done. It, it's challenge. And it's it's those kind of things in, in terms of the online discussions that I follow that tend to be a little bit lost in translation and, and people are in their potholes trying to just <laughs> murder one another because they think that they're utterly rotten if their ideas are not the, the same as what their ideas are. And I'm trying to explore the both sides of the argument in order to 
actually arrive at something that might be the most useful thing that we can do right now. And that's part of the reason why I'm in crypto. Because about 10 years ago, I made a, I put a, a year of my production company resources and my own time into producing a documentary film about the monetary system. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing to do in a country like uh, Finland, which is only 5 million people and no one wants to rock the boat. And you actually go and say, hey, this is how this really, really works. And we need to look at this thing. So I paid a personal price already for quite some time ago uh, about sort of participating and, and bringing this conversation about, which was very much only in the underground in, in Finland at that point. And uh, for a nation of 5 million people, we got like something, maybe it was 300,000 downloads, we gave it away for free. And uh, then at that point, you were very much a conspiracy theorist or a nut job if you, if you talked about things like that. And obviously in 10 years, it's the conversations ch shifted quite a bit. But that's essentially what then led me uh, a couple of years ago into, into the crypto space when I finally realized what Bitcoin was and how far it had come and what was possible because of it. I'd already had the worldview of, of cryptocurrency for a decade before. So it was an easy type of like, this is where a lot of very, very good things are happening if it's done right. Okay, excellent. And from what I was reading, there's a few things that aligned, right? So there was a financial crisis. In the world, there was a lot of unrest. Uh, there, there was 9-11, and there was an emergence of a, of a white paper. And I read where this was a catalyst for you to look into cryptocurrency uh, to kind of solve a lot of the issues that you were seeing. It's all sort of tied together. I, one, one of the things that I'd really like to uh, plug, which is really not that much to do with me, but it just put it together much better than I ever could. Derek Weinstein's The Portal podcast, which is a new one. And the introduction, the 30-minute introduction to that one, as well as his, uh, his conversation with Peter Thiel was quite, quite illuminating because essentially what, what they're saying together that the real progress sort of stagnated in the 70s, that if, if we look at the, the world as a Star Trek spaceship is that we now have the, the we built the computer of, of the Starship, the, the Google, the, the iPhone and the, 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 the tablets and everything. But in terms of like molecular progress or physics or financial or energy or all of these kinds of things that make up the starship you know it pretty much has been stagnant ever since the, since the 70s and in a downward spiral in the west most construction and steelwork and and engineering and those kinds of things have been going down ever since and it's that's why we are at such civil unrest and and this kind of atmosphere where people are losing hope and the left and right are polarizing and all of this kind of thing is because we we didn't build the ship and people are fucking disappointed you know so they'll do a much more beautiful job at describing uh, that whole thing of um, that I ever could but it, but it's essentially trying to find those pressure points and bringing them up in a certain kind of way and if I make an art piece about that concept then it, it becomes a trigger to a conversation that we really need to have and and essentially the the source for all of us, no matter whether, like, I really respect what you're doing here and, and bringing creatives together and, and starting to educate others in this space why the creatives are important is to, it takes some courage. Courage is, is, the, is the source, whether you're a creative or a CEO or anyone who's here to change the world and do something significant, you have to constantly go over your um, self-doubt and and uh, you know the demons that especially artists tend to revel in quite often that like we've seen in the past few years tend to uh, destroy themselves with so essentially i wanted to say that i, I just appreciate the artists here as well 
uh, not necessarily everyone's expression because it's it's all of their unique stuff. Uh, and when I when I listen to the Luca Politi um, episode, when he's describing where he's coming from and what his mission is and who he's talking to, it makes perfect sense that he's doing what he uh, how his expression is, and it's it's perfect. He's doing exactly that, which fits into his life's mission. It takes courage for him to do that. And the art world, the traditional art world, I see it's such a stagnant, uncourageous place. And anyone who's who's doing something in, in crypto or some of the, in virtual reality or augmented reality and exploring these new territories and trying to imagine what the art world of tomorrow is, most of them come from the outside of the art world. Because they're, they're just like, they're so fucking <laughs> obsessed with their footnotes of their footnotes of what was done before and what's now acceptable and uh, deconstructing the deconstruction. And I think at this point, the world needs those who are going to be building it, who are going to show others how to do it and where to go and how to put vast concepts together so that we open up people's imagination. Like what, when I saw Dolly's work when I was a kid, there was a new reality after I'd seen the first art piece inside of me immediately. And I think that's where the real value of art comes from, is that there, there are hidden parts of us, hidden parts of the, of the world that we need to have the courage to do so. Maybe you'll take psychedelics or like, uh, you know, I think it was Goldie was talking about meditation and getting a vision and then having to figure out and how to pull that from the ether and make it visible because there's something important about that. All of that demands courage. So anyone who's in these kind of what are now considered to be fringe, but for those of us who understand what it is, it's obvious how, how important and how necessary this is. It's I, I have a lot of respect for so Bessa, I've been keeping an eye on you uh, for quite some time. I believe you're a very hard worker, first of all, so congratulations that you're always active and always pushing yourself and pushing the boundaries. But you're also one of the best marketers and have a very strong brand. Could you tell fellow artists why is it important to invest in themselves, both in their image, their brand, and their network? For those of us, uh, and I, I know Trevor is going to agree with this as well, who's who's dealt with the traditional art world and the and the function that they're meant to have is that the idea of the luxury that you're not going to be the one who pushes your product out there, or is there's going to be someone who cares so much about what it is that you're doing, that they're going to dedicate their time and and sell your stuff, and especially at the point when you're not making real money yet, that's a complete and utter utopia. In 2019. It's such a noisy world and you have to have so much uh, in order for other people to take an interest of your thing. It's almost like some time ago, artists were uh, almost educated to become narcissists. Is that, you know, this divine spark that is in you that you have to come out with and it's all about you. And, and once you make it as an artist, then you can finally start acting like an asshole and everyone's going to carry your bags to, you know, this kind of ridiculous notion is what you really need to change. If you want to become a successful artist, you have to understand marketing. It's not, no one likes it. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted that you think that I'm very far with it. I, I understand where you're coming from when you say that, but I'm learning things every day and I'm trying to push it every day. And essentially the whole worldview is, how can I be useful to these other people? How can my art be useful for them? How can I do something that helps them achieve their life's mission so that they would give a fuck enough about me to offer me some resources or help me out? Or, and, and that's again, maybe just going back to the whole courage thing. You're an artist because presumably you have something to say, you have something to express. Now have some fucking balls and do it. You know, and that's maybe a little bit of 
tough love in a certain kind of way, but I think it's far worse than you don't, and then your expression dies, and your imagination doesn't get out there, and you become bitter, and and uh, then you're not even a very good person to be around. You, you know, you like if this is serious, <laughs> you have to take it seriously. And a part of that is to figure out ways of how to communicate to the world out there that you have something valuable. And if you feel like you don't have something valuable, listen to podcasts, listen, like all of the world's information and the chaos that is going on around us, every single story that we can grab and let the world know. It's at our fingertips. If you have a laptop, you have a phone, basically, <laughs> you know, like the Starship uh, engine has, or the computer has been built. So we can actually utilize that. And now we have all of these different kinds of technologies uh, to utilize in order to put something together that is going to help the world. And that, that's one important part as, as well is like one of the things that I've, I went on a course to actually learn how to do public speaking a little bit better because I was fucking frightened of it. But basically, the first thing that I learned was that I, I have to put the attention into the, the audience. It's about them. What can I give them? What What's inspiring so that they walk away with something and then immediately you're less self-conscious because your attention is not on yourself. And it's that whole switch off from the, you know, you're the artist, oh, hell you type of attitude that is part of the problem as to why you wouldn't do public speaking, why you wouldn't go to the CEO, why you wouldn't uh, take the world, you know, by a storm and and do your thing and really make it in life is is like you have to understand that there's something bigger than yourself that you're fighting for and and it's very close with crypto artists because they're already naturally like that. You wouldn't be in the crypto space if you didn't understand that there was something happening here that is way bigger than any of us. Your work is very intricate. I was looking Nartevo and the combination of different sources in terms of you use body painting, you use oil painting, you use uh, digital manipulation to produce something very intricate. I'm sure you could do something very basic, put a Bitcoin logo and ship it off and then sell 1,000 of these. Why is it important to produce something that's unique, something that challenges you technically, mentally? And why is it important to produce something that's a bit more refined versus just printing something basic that looks good and shipping it out, hoping to make a couple hundred dollars? I suppose it's hard for me to tell anyone what to do or not not to do. If the, if there's someone who's perfectly content in doing that, then they can make a living like that and not be in an office. I think that's uh, and there's people who want to buy it. It's it's perfectly fine. Uh, I just happen to have a either a, a gigantic ambition or an ego or an omission or all all three of them all, all sort of put into one. And I I, I just. It was that education of seeing Dolly's work when I was a kid and realizing that I don't have to, like, there's a reason why why Dolly's paintings cost so much, or Picasso, or any of them. Even if you go to Kandinsky, there was just no one who did Kandinsky before him. And he opened up an imagination, a, a new way to in, interpret the world. And unless if that is there, if, if it's not a new experience and a new value uh, proposition, to the world that didn't exist here before you came and did it, I I don't think what you're doing is is much at all. Uh, but that's just me. Very interesting. Could you tell us a little bit about Artevo, which is a combination of oil, body painting, free natural photography, digital manipulation? Uh, could you explain a little bit about what it consists on? Again, I suppose it goes into ideas. Uh, how I approached it when I started body painting on people is, is again, it was. A, 
of course, to a relative degree of how I can put it together and show mastery that way. But it was the story of those people that I body painted that I first listened to. I really needed to understand who they were to begin with in order to express something and then how their life experiences and ideas related to mine and how that relates into the bigger picture. And then it just so happens that with all of those available technologies that I had, and even even oil paint is technology, even though it's a it's a very old one, uh, it, I, I was able to convey ideas in a different way that I'd ever seen before. And I was hoping that people would uh, see that kind of um, thing as as valuable. The, 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 the way that it was put together was valuable, but most importantly, what it was trying to say. That's just it. Um, I, I don't know how else to put it. It's, it's a, how the deep inner personal becomes universal, is, is some of our deepest fears that we, we think that are only uniquely ours. If we actually said them out loud, we'd realize that most people have the same. And it, it, it's that kind of thing is, a, is there might be a moment of vulnerability in a way when you take off your clothes before the body paint is being applied. But after that, it's almost like putting a, a superhero suit on. That was the most fun for me is that these people transform from slightly like not knowing or timid into having the superhero cape type of like almost like a Marvel suit is being put on and you can finally be your full self and express these ideas or emotions or what might have been trapped uh, in order to produce this peak experience. And my job at that point is more like maybe uh, as a little bit of a guide, but just to pro provide that space that you can do that. And uh, and that was the magical moment. It's it's all my, what I loved about movies as a kid is all of a sudden being transported into this other world, and it didn't demand any more than that. Just to apply that paint, and once these people saw themselves in the mirror, you were in a movie, and it becomes magical. It's a it's a mystical experience. I can't explain it in any other way, and it's a I get a massive kick out of it. It's phenomenal, and in that there's there's value, and then put all of those ideas. Uh, into the mix of it and print them into large-scale pieces, I, I just find that terribly exciting. And you're exactly right. I, I saw one of the interviews where uh, you're sitting next to Vina Malik, I believe it's the name of the of the person that you painted, and she starts talking about the importance of the pieces that you guys produce. She lights up, and that response is very powerful. I'll, I'll go back to that comment where you say it's almost like wearing a superhero suit uh, as a result of the way you're expressing you become this different person. And also going back to Luke's, for example, that couple that you painted in gold and it was a pregnant couple and, and the commitment they made was was beautiful. So I completely get what you're saying. Yeah, that, the Luke's one is very personal as well. Like I, I mentioned at the beginning that I'm not very comfortable in telling telling my personal story, but maybe for the for the reference of this is my, my father left my mom on the way to the hospital to have me to uh, go and live with another family. And uh, in, in one way, what I realized only a couple of years ago, maybe, is that a part of this, me wanting to put the world back together, it was a naive wish of a child to, uh, for my mom and dad to communicate or come back together. And of course, that's, uh, that's a fool's errand uh, if anyone's ever embarked on that, that kind of thing and has, a, has that kind of family experience. But, but it, it gave me a beautifully an ethos of why I'm so frustrated if the left and the right, they can't communicate at all with one, and one another. It's the, something that I experienced as a kid being transformed into the larger whole and where I see it going is, is a total disaster. 
So because if we fail to talk, it's either that we don't see one another at all, or then it's violence. Those are the only only things that are are left, and and we are on a relatively small planet in in a way. Then and if we really at this point of our technology advancement and weaponry and and sort of capabilities, we stop talking, then uh, we're in, in really, really deep trouble. And I think this is something that we might have forgotten at this point. Enough generations and times has passed, especially in the West since the Second World War, for us to not know how dangerous the territory is that we're exploring in, in terms of like being at each other's throats and becoming further and further in, intolerant with our ideas and and being uh, being with one another so that was the the looks project was very much about that i was so frustrated that there wasn't anything on earth that even in 2013 and 14 people were agreeing about i mean it's gone way worse since but uh, it's not not up until i looked at space and the sun that i started realizing that there's maybe you have to go outer planetary before you figure out one thing that pe- most people actually appreciate and that's the sun so we just need some starting point. We, need, we needed something, and that led me on a very interesting journey. And actually, to your home country, Mexico, I was very much going through my psychedelics and hippie phase also at that point. And we, we went around and, and interviewed uh, a lot of people um, in, in Mexico, a lot of these tribal elders and, and shaman, and, and went around the pyramids, not only in Mexico, but Giza as well. And, and, and that was a fascinating period in my life. But uh, yeah, we can talk about that maybe another time. Let's discuss it, because I, I think it's important, for example, the Mayas, you went to Tulum, I believe. The, yeah. the level of mental sophistication and growth that they achieved was incredible, and it resonated in different cultures. You mentioned the, the Egyptians as well, and it's something that I, that I believe we're losing to, to a degree now. Artists, in my opinion, are the way to continue this. There, there's not a lot of people that get paid to think and explore and, and navigate through their thoughts. And, and that's why art is really important. It's also a strange, strange thing, because I've, and especially if you go to the art world, you've never seen artists so uniform than they are right now. They're basically all the same and they explore the same, they talk the same and they talk about the same ideas and, and they hate being challenged in any, any kind of way in, in their... Uh, it's become a business right? of it. It's a business, and an, I, I think the artists, in terms of the hierarchy, are at the very bottom of it, which is the the most lethal mistake that the art world has done, because it's a, it's about the museums, the curation, and the sales, and the then essentially even in many big museums, the last one to get paid, even after the cleaner, is the artist, if they get paid at all. So it's the the power hierarchy and people being dependent on even the small amounts of money coming from the government. They pretty much adopted a certain kind of worldview that they can't deviate from, and there's not a lot of courage to go outside to try and explore new avenues, which is a part of the reason again why I'm in crypto because there, there's resources, there's ideas, and there's freedom, and there's no so much uh, not so much the preconceived notions of how you're meant to be. So you get to be the thing why I wanted to become an artist in the first place, which has a lot to do with freedom. You know, so they're, they've, it's almost, it's, uh, it's just depressing. <laughs> I never want to go back. But uh, yeah, to come, come to your point, there was a movie called The Revelation of the Pyramids, which shows, a, uh, explores this idea that we might have had a much more uh, connected world before than what our mainstream history tells us. And, and I explored the, the ideas of John Anthony West and Graham Hancock and, and all of these sort of, I suppose you could call them alternative ways of of looking at the uh, at the world and history, but they they were the first ones that ever made sense to me. 
because there, there's something really dead about the idea that the Great Pyramid of Giza is a, is a tomb. Like, you don't have to scratch the surface very far up until you realize that that's a really, really dumb way to try and look at it. <laughs> it really isn't that. So uh, I don't, that's everyone's personal journey if they want to uh, embark upon that. But I, I would really recommend something like the John Anthony West's Magical Egypt or the Mystery of the Sphinx documentary. You can find them on YouTube for free. And all of a sudden, things start to click and it's... Uh, an incredible rabbit hole to go go to as well. And the, when when I went from Giza to to Mexico, I realized just how similar all the structures were, and what was somehow resonating the the same power that built they they were just built by the same idea source somehow, They're like slightly different in th in terms of aesthetics, but not enough to not be somehow very very intimately connected. And that was a uh, there was also when we talked to some of the shaman and the tribal elders and some of the tour guides and and uh, who were a little bit uh, cut from the outlaw cloth, uh, then they they kind of uh, showed us different things that that proved those ideas. Like the tomb of Tutankhamun had cocaine and tobacco in it. Wow. How's that possible? So it, it was yeah. Th those were fascinating, uh, fascinating things to get into. Very interesting. You touched on something that I think is very important. I have a personal stance to never accept free work from artists, uh, not because I don't like it. It's because compared to other professions, I think that by accepting something for free, I take directly away from their livelihood. Uh, even on this podcast, I, I talk to the artists after the fact and I ask, has this resulted in more sales? Because I, I see a lot of magazines, I see a lot of publications that they basically use artists and their art as a vehicle to gain exposure. But in the end, like you've said very eloquently, the artists may not even get paid, right? So they're on the, on the losing end. So I, I thought that was very on point based on what I've my personal experience. Yeah, sure. Charity is even even one of those things, and I've again I've, I've participated in 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 myself, and some of it is is gainful, and, so, and some of some of it isn't. But basically, it's people like the idea of doing charity art because they look good. They don't actually give two shits about the artist or how, how they've ended up somewhere where they actually might have art to good enough to even give away so people would find it valuable. It's, it's never about the artist. That's why it's such a fight. E even though artists are, are sensitive and we like all the, all the different kinds of things of, that comes with such a volatile profession and, and for us to get paid, it's, it's, it's a fight. And you have to look at it as a fight, and sometimes you have to stand your ground. And if some people don't see your value, then you have to make your value clear. This was also one of the things that I liked about the attitude of Nanu Berks, is that she's, uh, she's quite fierce in, in some ways in, in educating people that they can't just take advantage of her. I, I really respect that part. And, uh, and it's in, in one way, it's to do with our education system. If you look at the, the famous TED Talks of Sir, Sir Ken Robinson, which are incredible, by the way. He he lays down the whole case of industrial revolution and and why we have arts at the bottom and basically how we produce the most efficient uh, workers and CEOs or or professors. And art demands again, it's that courage, it's that uncomfort zone, is to constantly push yourself because it it's sort of like if you're doing real thinking and learning, it kind of hurts. It's it's a painful process to produce something new and put yourself into that space, kind of like a professional athlete or something like that. You you get the gains if you really put in the work, and and most people are simply not willing to put in that work. And I think that's that's part of the problem. So people just like let's say 
uh, Joe Rogan does a podcast, he has a formula. What people don't realize is that what's important about Joe Rogan is, of course, he did it with integrity, but he did it when no one else was doing it. And he had basically, uh, uh, he was tenacious about it. He was relentless and he just kept doing it and he loved it and he grew to that. And now people are trying to mimic the model of Joe Rogan. And it's the same with art. It's like, <clears throat> if you're trying to do what Picasso did, then you're not getting what Picasso or who he was, because right now, if it was Picasso, he would be doing virtual reality, because the only reason that the Guernica painting is not bigger than it is, is because he couldn't really make it bigger than at that point, in a, in a way that made any sense. <clears throat> but I'm sure he would have wanted to immerse people in these 360 experiences and explore all these different kinds of ways and how to bring about new imagination to the world. Uh, so that's, that's part of the whole problem of, of creativity altogether is that it's a multifaceted thing of what you need to, all the different angles have to come together in order for you to make an impactful whole. Very interesting. And you've already touched on this where this is where the traditional art scene may fail the, the artist, right? I, I remember talking to Trevor and he said basically that the Scottish art scene shut the doors on him when he started doing augmented reality. So it, for a movement that is intended to always find new ways of doing things, they're very close uh, in, ter in terms of mentality, in terms of the direction it, it allows their uh, members to, to even explore. So I think this is, this is super important. And that's why I like crypto art, because in crypto art, how many of the artists are doing augmented reality? And some of them are exploring virtual reality. We know Coldy's doing lenticular art, and, and it's just a way of exploring uh, how to express something visually. And, and that's why I like crypto art. In terms of this, where do you see this going? Uh, and what are you working on in terms of different techniques or different technologies to incorporate to your art? Where I see it going is that already we're at a place that fiat money and, and the art world are very similar. And in, in many ways, I, I feel they they keep printing uh, things and not backing up things very much. And if you if you take the approach which i do uh like from the renaissance days of art from da vinci and michelangelo and and the spiritual transformations and exploring flying machines and building cannons to defend florence and you know all, all that kind of stuff is that the, the tangibility and value of art was obvious to anyone who sees it if you go to the sistine chapel and you look at the ceiling if you don't feel that there's something going on there uh, you might want to check your pulse i mean uh, no one really has to be explained that there's some value there in the delivery, the way that it, what it says and how it was executed and all those kinds of things come together and whatever ungodly uh, sum of money you would have to, uh, even if it was possible to, to buy that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you get, you get what I mean. So at this point, you look at the contemporary art world and some of the things that look like ketchup accidents that sold for $36 million and, and all of these word soups that can then get sort of uh, described in order to try and justify this kind of in-group backslapping that uh, is really just kind of like printing the Bolivar to the ground. I, I think their, their footnotes and their academy and their, their philosophy is is going to collapse when the next financial collapse is going to happen. I, I think we're going to, most of the things that the commercial galleries and the, and the museums now hold very valuable and dear, I, I think they're going to, there's going to be a, a big evolution that happens. And then whatever takes its place, uh, sure, digital art is going to be a part of it, the blockchain art space, VR, augmented reality, all of these kinds of things. 
but it's again those those things for me they're they they're just technology technology is cool but you know it's it's the ideas that get you going and it's what those ideas can do to the world that are important not the not the technology that's the that's the whole thing it's like so for me the nightmare is that you know people say like in one way i'm proud of the fact that i put these things together in these different technologies in in order to express it and there's a, there's a method behind it that's nice but where I would like to see that people would take the time to understand the content of what I put together and get their inspiration from there. That's what that's where I get my kicks from. The idea is what drives the, your inspiration and the vehicle it becomes less important as long as the idea gets interpreted. Yeah, but I, I don't own it. And we live in an age of Instagram and, and kind of very, very quick turnaround of, of, of things. Um, uh, I'm in one way soul and slow food and not much of a culture or maybe there's a culture but there's not it's like those ideas like like let's put it this way that you have the intellectual dark web all of a sudden we have something that where uh, sam harris and P jordan peterson are debating and there's a 5000 people turn up to a deep philosophy atheism religion grind uh, conversation and, and when it's time for questions and answers they keep voting that those people keep talking because they're so hungry for this kind of content so i i believe that it's the hunger for for this kind of expression is there but right now uh if it's in ideas and podcasts like this and 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 sort of uh, whatever way that it's produced to the world i think we're so unused to getting that kind of depth from art because it's been the polar opposite for so long that we don't think that it's even there anymore and that's part of the whole like people say oh i don't get what art is and blah 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 and 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 it's that sort of natural self defense mechanism to all the all the different kinds of uh, scamming that is being going on and people being taken for a ride or not being able to be honest about what they say or, you know, that kind of thing. Besa, one of the things that I see, there's a lot of opportunity in the space is about pricing art in terms of how the artist uh, price the art and also valuing the art from the art enthusiast perspective. What's your take on this? Right. Um, well, when I was listening to the Crypto Brecky uh, episode and he, he said something like that, he didn't appreciate if there wasn't the the lower end uh, there as well as the expensive ones and what i started because about a year ago now i i still had out of one image i made about a hundred different kinds of prints and then with everything that was happening with world crypticon and and a couple of other things uh, some of which didn't actually come to fruition that i at that point had the the courage to do is that i dropped out all the low end you know i've, I've been in in this game for 20 years uh, on a level or another and i i do think i'm um, producing an incredible amount of value and I know where this is going and even at let's say if it's a piece at 50,000 and there's only four of them I, I think they're selling very cheap at, at the moment as to what they will be because of all the big picture things that we discussed before what what's going to be happening and the types of uh, things that I'll be involved with but I, I completely understand his his point of view because it's it's also the then it's not democratic and it's a, it's a very you know, I could never afford my own art pieces at the moment. That's a that's a strange sort of conundrum. But it's it, at, at the same time, I was looking at that there was a fucking crypto kitty that sold for $187,000. And if you look at something like my piece, like it used to be wired or, or, or something like that, that is not only 
I think, an incredible piece of what it stands for and says the history of Bitcoin in New York at a particular crux point. And it has a mini movie about it and it has articles written about it. And you have this whole societal motion and separation of state and money. And for 6,000 years, this has not been possible, if not ever, in the history of the world. And there's something that is saying this essential about the whole space. And it's much, much less than that fucking crypto kitty. I think we've done something wrong here. You know, <laughs> it's just a sim simple fact. So what I, what I, but I, I also realized that I couldn't go from like all having these $1,200 prints, uh, signed prints into where I'd really like to see where the, these are going to be. So I, I took this route of like, okay, so maybe it's, I have some on 35,000, some 50, some go up to 120 or whatever it is, but to, it was also a part of the education to get into the conversation where people really start to take this seriously. Because if, like, right now I have a big problem in China that I can't really get into the Chinese art market because if if you have pieces that are less than half a million dollars, they simply won't even look at it. You know, it, it's it's all different types of sort of value propositions and conversations and your own courage and the what kind of access you have to the market and who you have supporting what it is that you're doing it's it's all of those different things and of course most importantly the ideas and the perfect storm of where it is that you are right now and what kind of story you're telling and then yeah conf confidence i suppose as well but all of those different things have to come together in order for for you to propose that your art in certain editions or if they're unique pieces are are a certain amount. But it's a it's a very creative field. It's a it's an incredibly difficult thing to price what it is that you do. And a part of it for artists, which makes it so incredibly difficult. With the Artevo stuff, it was even more difficult because I felt like I was laying down my soul. And when essentially you go to people to do a marketing pitch about my art, why don't you buy it? it it's like you, you're literally feeling like you're selling your soul and you're naked standing in front of people and then they can say, nah, <laughs> which happens quite a lot. So it's a, it, it's a difficult thing to remain open hearted in that kind of thing. The crypto art pieces actually helped. In, in a certain kind of way, because if it, it wasn't so much about my naked soul or vulnerabilities, it was about the whole space and the ideas. And it's, it's a little bit more of a product than the body painting uh, pieces were. So that allowed me to push it a little bit further uh, in, in, in certain ways as well. But I, I really, as absurd as this might feel to, to some people, at 50,000, I feel like I'm selling these cheapest chips. Yeah, and it's and it's very interesting, and I I know you touched on it a little bit, but also from the art enthusiast side, what to look for in terms of value. I can tell you that as part of this podcast, I've had very interesting conversations of people reaching out. Uh, I won't expose their names, but they're asking who's the next up and coming artist because I want to buy everything. So there's there's a speculative portion of this where they're saying I I want to invest in, in in art because I know the price is going to go up. Looking at the art enthusiast side, what can they look for to know that something's worth what they're paying as far as, as far as ticket price? Well, like, like I was very happy to hear that Trevor, like how he entered and he sold his whole, whole show and what he's doing is it's not only, of course, he has that level of mastery in oil paints, but in terms of how I look at the situation is that like, let's say if I have a limited edition of four altogether. Uh, unfortunately, before this becomes much more democratic and people start to make adult money as artists, there's only going to be a very small percentage of us who are going to be commercially successful and make a make a real living out of it. 
Uh, and th there's not so much of a middle class in art. There's only the stratospheric, and then there's the ones who don't, who basically suffer and toil. That's been the traditional model, and we're hoping to change that, but we're not there yet. So, uh, it, like, if if you look at, like I said, that paint is technology, and and it for many good reasons it has all the respect that it uh, it deserves. But at the time, let's say in the 1600s when people were buying uh, unique oil paintings and that was the only technology that we had, uh, we only had a certain amount of people on the planet as well. We probably had a less, less than a billion people on Earth. And right now, let's say if uh, my aim is to become one of the top artists, not only in the, in the crypto space, but in, in art in, in general, if you have one of four of my pieces that I've put together in a unique way and then I paint on top of them and they, they're very fine on the blockchain that there are only four of them and I wouldn't sell more of them because then essentially I would collapse my own legacy, then uh, all of a sudden one of those four is probably has a much, much bigger chance of being much, much more valuable than someone who's average with a unique oil painting. So it's in some way I figured out a way in how to scale uh, oils as a technology as well to the modern day where we now have something like 7.8 billion people and soon to be 10 billion people. Like the, the laziness of people thinking that uh, now that there's 10 billion of us and you have one successful artist and you want their stuff and it's it's great and you don't want it as a as purely a reproduction, I, I have a solution for that. But I, I think you're really, really saying quite something incredible is that you should be, even though there's 10 times or 100 times more people here, you should you should still have the old scaling of the old technology. So again, these are just the ideas that I get excited about is that that's what makes it really difficult because I'm trying to in one way shift centuries, if not millennia of, of sort of thought or protocol. And, but that's what really, that's what drives me. That's, that's when it gets in, in interesting. How did the whole worldview towards creativity and value came together originally? Well, this, this might be self self-congratulatory and this is certainly not directed at the art, other artists and I'm not trying to brag but it's it's something that happened that I'm, I'm very proud of and uh, and hopefully it convinces a little bit towards the case as to uh, what the worldview of we start talking about life and all of these different things that are at our fingertips now to try and learn how to put value together um, I, I one of the people who really influenced me early on in my early 20s was this philosopher called Ken Wilber. And uh, he's he's comes very highly recommended. He's an American philosopher and a, a spiritual explorer. And he basically came up with this uh, integral theory. And he put together this map of where you can sort of see your internal and external and societal progress and spiritual sort of cohesive map of the development of humanity. And it, uh, when I first came came across it, it was like, I listened to them in, in audio podcasts, so what he was saying and reading his books, and they, they were kind of like broken glass in my brain. I, could, I knew there was something incredible in them, but I just didn't have the vocabulary or the, or the capacity to understand what, what he was really talking about. It took some time to really grind it that, to, to get to it, and he, he built this place called the Integral Institute. And uh, it's many of my ideas obviously aren't mine. I've, I've just been 
humbled enough uh, many times and humble enough to go and listen to much, much smarter people that I am and spent the time trying to absorb what it is that they put together. But he, at, at this integral institute, they have sometimes m many artists uh, like uh, the filmmaker uh, Aronofsky from The Fountain and the Wachowski brothers and Saul Williams and all of these different kinds of uh, incredible artists as well as spiritual leaders and sort of integral Christianity and, and Islam and uh, Hinduism and all of these world uh, sort of tradition and ideas are in this incubator uh, together. And there, um, uh, art creator Michael Swartz, he gave me my first show, uh, international show, uh, there and uh, he looked at the Vina Malik project of what we put together because essentially that was such a multi-level thing because she was Pakistani and Muslim so that was a, a bit of a thing but then we made these art pieces that essentially uh, commented upon the common origin of all of spirituality all over the world and what they had to give one another and there's sort of psychological exploration and the economical and the all of this put together. And he, he looked at it and he was the first uh, art academic who gave me the time of the day to really look into it, but probably one of the only ones who had the competence to assess what was in, in front of him as well. And what he said is that, and here's the direct quote in 2019, and he's a professor of history and philosophy of art. Uh, Vesa's art is among the most historically advanced in the history of Western abstraction, no small claim, but one backed up by the works themselves. And essentially, he put me in the same category with all the Western abstraction greats, and I don't have to mention who they are. But this was, again, uh, something very, very strange, because I realized that the world was upside down. Because I reached all of those people with the Vina Malik project, and it was like a crazy amount of, uh, of people, and it was a cultural shift. But still, the art world didn't give me time of the day. Didn't give, <laughs> they didn't, zero museums, zero like white cube gallery or anything like that, despite the expression and the importance of it. And finally, when I realized that this person with all of this credibility and what they said, uh, uh, I thought, well, now finally the world's going to change, and now it's going to break through. Absolutely nothing. It's now 2019. It's five years ago since he said it with all of that credibility and, and essentially said, pay attention. No one did. Long and the short of it, a why to bring this all home is I wouldn't recommend artists try and waste their trying to try and get into the vanishing and crazy prestige economy that is the art world, where there's very little money for most of us super boring ideas and very, very conservative and all of the things are what we have in the crypto world now and why it's so important for other people to support us here is to realize that we are crafting the new art world. We are crafting the new creative human. And if companies and individuals who have wealth and resources can support us, this is where the new Da Vinci's are born. This is where all of the important stuff that is going to be valued super high is going to be coming out of. I believe that. Um, you have a series of exciting events coming up, starting with the Lycoon Conference. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, with pleasure, because um, the the whole thing is about a year ago, uh, things really started picking up because of Adam Williams from World CryptoCon. We had an online conversation and he he really liked what I was doing and it gave me a big, big opportunity to go and do a whole bunch of things in Las Vegas and we achieved a lot. And and uh, it, I just have so much love for him because he, he was one of the earliest ones with a big opportunity and a lot of connections to to do something for a creative that would elevate everyone 
alongside it or what was possible because before then most of the things that i saw in the crypto conference space were they were, they were outside the crypto conference they were in a warehouse next to it and there was a separate party and and things like that and the first thing the, the very first one that i went to the North American Bitcoin conference of uh, January 2018, I realized that I have to be inside of this space. I need to be here where it's all happening and not somewhere outside that people, because people didn't care about the art to begin with. So to get someone, uh, and especially those who might be uh, the ones making the decisions to buy something like a 5,000 or, uh, or upward painting, they're not going to be going to that warehouse, to that party, they're going to be elsewhere. So if I'm going to catch any of them and have these conversations, I need to be where that whole thing happens. So Adam is really one of the first ones that allowed that to happen in a big kind of way. And he's given me that opportunity again in Las Vegas this year. But he also introduced me to the Litecoin Foundation and David Schwartz, aka Daddy Cool. Shout out to him. He's an amazing guy. And uh, basically that that led to the conversation um, that I just put online just a while ago with with Charlie Lee, trying to talk to him about life and creativity and how that relates to litecoin and that the, the foundation now gave me another shot it's that they commissioned me to do an art piece and i've really like uh, here's <laughs> like relating to the previous thing i worked on this art piece for three months and i sweated my balls off to try and come up with something substantial and uh you know then i then i share it online and i think it got three likes and I, I wanted to jump off a bridge, basically. But you know, that's a, it's part of the nature of the game. But yeah, it's a, it's a really cool thing. It's about back to back. It's a whole Vegas blockchain week. Uh, there's uh, Charlie Sherm is doing something uh, there. Uh, Brock Pierce is doing an EOS Alliance, and it's all at the Cosmopolitan Hotel. And first, it's two days of the Litecoin uh, Summit, and I'll have a keynote and a performance and a two-day art exhibit. And I'm, uh, it was just confirmed that I'll, I'll body paint uh, Didi Taihutu, uh, the, the amazing Bitcoin family uh, head, as I'm going to make him Atlas. And, and somehow, you know, he carries Bitcoin and Bitcoin carries him and type of type of thing we started talking talking with him is an incredible uh, personality. And there's other people that I'm, I'm going to be collaborating of putting that together and then I'm doing the very same thing again uh the next following days at the World CryptoCon in the, at the same location so it's a it's an evolution of what we did from last year and I still I'm in negotiations with with a couple of different uh people whether they're going to be my my sponsors for World CryptoCon because this time I don't have a sponsor for it even still and it's a couple of months away so I'm basically I'm shitting my pants but it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm I'm sure it's it's just such a it's part of the the conversation is I, I tweeted out something a couple of days ago and I'm, I'm somehow like sometimes i'm so frustrated with things and I'm, i hope not to come across negative but it's a, it's like as someone who run a production company and and know about communication to people and it's it's essentially many of us are here because we saw a documentary film about the monetary system or we saw something that a creative put together that woke us up to the reality altogether, but we don't, we don't still for some reason see the connection between creativity and films and art and all these kinds of things that are going to bring about the mass adoption that I, I think is the, is the primary tool for us to do this. But companies, when you bring about these ideas to them and say like, how about you commission art for us to get a lot of attention at a conference, they don't really, it's such a left field conversation in terms of the company roadmap, that it's, it, it's, I see just millions, if not billions being just sort of going down the drain with incredible opportunities because the mentality is not yet set for it. 
So a part of this whole thing is is educating people of how to how to start seeing the value in this. And I, th I think this is something that artists really have to take take seriously. It's, it's like what you said at the beginning about the marketing and putting yourself out there and coming out of your shell and, and whatever. It's like realize that there's there's something much, much bigger than us happening here. And if we're going to be a part of the conversation, you really need to uh, make yourself known and, and become a part of it to help people understand why it is valuable. So it, it's on you completely agree and any of our listeners want to sponsor Bessa for Royal Crypticon you know where to find them and what you said is very interesting right so there's a lot of people that are yet to show the, the interest in terms of what art is but still everybody wants to take a picture next to the art piece and everybody wants to attend the premiere it's it's a very psychologically it's a very interesting phenomenon right it's it's such a like if if you if you go to a conference, I mean, it really has to be some something like Binance that gives you some of their merchandising in order for you to even remotely try and care about it. It's it's basically most of the stuff that they hand out to you in conferences or uh, what's happening over there is that you smile and you nod and you say thank you and then you throw it in the bin and you're disgusted that it was put in your hand in the first place and no one actually read the thing because you didn't earn the interest, you didn't do something, you didn't create enough value. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of hardcore people who, who really go there to learn about the companies and they will take it seriously or whatever. But but this is like, I would say they're the seasoned professionals. They're the either super newbies uh, uh, that are just utterly clueless, which might not be so helpful to your business yet. Or then it's those who are like long time. It, it's, it, there's no, not a lot of in between where, where your leaflets and, and some of the, the things that, like, if, if you're not excited about the thing that you're handing out, how do you expect those people to be who you're giving, it, giving them out to? So create different kinds of interest and, and earn, earn the attention. That's, that's the essential message. Completely agree. So Bessa, where can people find you? How do, can they get in touch? And please share what you're working on next. Um... Well, there's a there's a few things um, that I'm I'm working uh, working on that I don't want to talk about yet because they basically I'm I'm more of when I know a hundred percent that this is when it's coming out and whatever then it's done, uh, then I'll, I'll I'll do that. But there's there's many many very exciting things. Uh, but, um, but essentially, it's on Twitter and Instagram, which have pathetic followings, uh, are art by Vesa. So that's uh, V-E-S-A. And uh, artforcrypto.com is the, is the platform where most of the things are coher coherently put together under, under one package. Thank you for that. Excellent, mate. Uh, so Vesa, thank you for your time. You're somebody that I've been following and I continue to follow. I'll be trying to hook up uh, around the um, Vegas conference. I'll be there uh, around that time, so I'll, I'll I'll be sure to stop by and, and buy you a beer. But other than that, keep doing what you're doing, <laughs> awesome. man. And uh, keep keep being yourself and, and keep pushing the bar in terms of crypto crypto art. Dude, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This was this was great, and I got to got to exercise some demons out as well, talking about all of this stuff. Uh, I really respect what you're doing, and, and it's it's incredible, and you giving this artist-driven format is the polar opposite of the art world, and I commend you for it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Curating Crypto. If you liked this episode, please help us by sharing, rating, and subscribing. You can also stay in touch by following us on Twitter. 
at Curating Crypto, where we will be sharing additional information and links related to the topics we've covered in these sessions.